Today's scripture is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and the women and all those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashem, Ashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, thank you, Haley. That was impressive, all those names. Yes, nice work. Got an applause for that. And uh, well, yeah, hey, everyone. It is great to see you all here today. Um, My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just good to be here. I've been gone with my family on and off a couple times this uh, this summer, and we've had some different things going on. It's just good to be here. This is home. Um, I don't know if I said my name. My name's Dave, um, I do want to let you know I have a stutter. It'll kind of come and go. I didn't lose that on on vacation, sadly. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just good to be here. Good to be back together. We have a ton to uh, to get into. So um, there are lots of things I would love to say to you. again affirm um, Redemption Kids. Um, just thank you for that for that interview and, and lots of other stuff. But since we have two huge chapters uh, to cover. Chapter um, seven, by the way, um, Haley, if you want to see how it even could have been, we could have read all of chapter seven um, in this time. So that was lots of names, even more, uh, like 70 plus verses of names. So we're going to cover all that. Um, So with that, let's go ahead and pray and get into our time here uh, together this evening and this morning for all of you online. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do, again, pause right now, and um, as we're coming into your word, we acknowledge, as we did during our time of confession, that um, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to uh, his own way. Um, Lord, we, we, uh, we pursue other things. We've pursued other things throughout this week. Even now, we will be tempted to... Um, Lord, to, to think about, to dream about, to long for uh, other things, um, not from you. 
And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will engage our hearts and our minds and our ears. Lord, we pray that you will do a work that we cannot do, that you will uh, bring life through Jesus, that you will reveal him um, through the word. And, and, uh, and Lord, that we will be transformed and, uh, and that we will be shaped as your people individually and uh, as a whole. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right out of the gates, let's pick up in uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn with me there. Um, I'm a bit out of practice on this front, but um, we also have some Bibles. Uh, I don't think we're handing them out yet, right? But we have them available in the back. So go ahead and uh, help yourself to one. And um, if you don't own one, we'd love for you to keep it and, and uh, make it your own, okay? Learn from, uh, from God's word. So right out of the gates here, chapter seven, verses, uh, big Kenny in verse one. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut the bar, shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some, um, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. So let's enter into this uh, a bit here together. So the first three, uh, four, five, six chapters, right, we've been covering, we've been um, focusing on building this wall. And we've seen that this first part of Nehemiah is like a journal entry um, from this author, Nehemiah, who was called by, by God to lead God's people away from um, Persia, where they had been, and uh, to, to reestablish themselves as God's people in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so he got there. There's no wall built. Um, there had been a, the t- temple had been built. So where God's people could worship God, where God would meet with his people had been rebuilt, but it was vulnerable. And so this whole time they've been digging in, pressing into building this wall. Now just picture with me what's going on here, right? These three or four guys are, are you know, hanging out up on the wall in different forms, they're like, they're worship pastors, but they've had to also do security. Um, usually that doesn't go hand in hand. We have a worship leader, Joel, who that makes a little more sense for. But if you've seen, not to throw too much shade on worship leaders, but most worship pastors probably wouldn't be your first uh, hires as security guards. Um, just saying. And, um, and, and so yet that's where they find themselves. They've been in this place where they've been, they're sitting there talking to each other and they're like, okay, the wall's built, but here we still are. We're on guard. We're sitting up here, um, right, holding a sword. I wish I was holding my guitar, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, this, isn't, this isn't what I'm trained for. This isn't what I studied for. This isn't what my degree is in, but it's been all hands on deck, right? This, it's been a while here, and finally the wall's built. When, when can we kind of get on? As we just saw there, no houses have been built yet. Man, I, I didn't... 
study for this. I didn't train for this. I didn't move back here for this. Like, when do I get to build my house? When do I get to kind of move on to uh, the life that, that I, where, where I, I want to get, right? The li- like, when am I going to get my own? Well, when am I going to kind of finally start to dig in and, and start to, to build the life for me and my family and live the career and, and, and do all the things that, that, I'm, that I'm planning on for my, my life? When's that time going to come? And also, we've all been working hard. And as we kind of turn a corner now, when is that going to, who's going to get props, right? Who's going to get, who's going to get advancement? Uh, who's going to get recognized? Who's not like, when, when, when is my life going to look the way I've envisioned it coming back here? And I'd say many of us really find ourselves in a similar place of thinking Okay, this is, I, I've kind of done this thing for a while. I, I'm, I've, I've loved my neighbor, right, for the last 18 months. Um, I'm, I'm ready for that to get easier. I'm ready to kind of move on from there. But, but, but what if what God calls his people into is ongoing? What if there's not this sense of, hey, do this for a while, and then... Once you, once you uh, get to this point, you can kind of hit cruise control and coast. But what if, as Christians, we've heard, and some of you may have heard this if you're not a follower of Jesus, this phrase, take up your cross and follow me. What if Jesus meant that to be for our whole lives? Right? We don't tend to think that way. We tend to think, okay, this is kind of a season. I can white knuckle it, pull myself up by my bootstraps, dig down, do this for a while. But what if God's called us to something much bigger? What if he's calling us to something that we can't do on our own? That we can't just kind of white knuckle it, dig down, try to be better, try to do better, uh, love people the best we can until they no longer need to be loved that way. And then what if that's not it? What if he's called us to something more? something we can't just do on our own. Well, as we enter in to the story here with Nehemiah, that's God's plan for his people has always been. That he's forming a people who are his people. And if you look up here, I'm going to have a couple things to help us walk through this. We see that God is forming a people of one mission who are on one team, who are standing on one gospel and who are a part of one story. And if you've grown at all used to my preaching, you know this is not super normal for me to break it down this clearly for you um, or for me. But uh, with this many chapters and this much to cover, I thought it would be helpful for us. But again, as we look at, hopefully you see there the common theme is it's all about God. It's about who he is and what he's doing and where we find ourselves. If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to Redemption Church, um, that's what we're all about. We, all of life is all for Jesus. And, and I want to say the hard things. Uh, I don't want to try to bait and switch you. I don't want to try to convince you, oh, come and do this. It'll be really easy. We have the best potlucks in town. We don't. Other churches probably have way better potlucks. Right? We have better this. We have, we'll do this. No, what we can tell you is life is found. Real, abundant, rich life that you and I and all people were created for is found together submitting to God participating in his mission, serving together as his team, standing on his gospel and playing our part in his story. 
Amen. So continuing in, in, uh, in, in chapter seven there, you see some, some themes, right, that we've walked through here. Let me um, um, say there in, in uh, right, it says that no houses had been built yet. And I don't want to uh, just skip past that. The, the, the people came and they, they devoted themselves to God's work, to building this wall that they had been called to build. But life was not easy. All right, they've been, as you know, some of them been sleeping um, in their clothes with their, and not just because they're like college students and they're lazy. No offense, I was one too, and I would do the same um, if I could, right? Not just because, but they, they were guarding the wall. They have their, their weapons there. Their, they've been, been lit, and life has been, has been difficult, but they've been devoted to what God has called them to. And, and um, verse five through verse 73 I'm not going to read, um, and I'm not going to cover every name. Um, I will say this. It's primarily uh, almost word for word the same as um, Ezra chapter 2. It's a pausing and a recognizing that God has used his people to do incredible things. As we talked about a few weeks ago when we were in um, uh, chapter 5, that, that uh, or no, chapter 4, that, that, that God uses seemingly normal, mundane people to do eternally significant things. And so as you just even look right now, look at chapter seven um, and just tons and tons of names and numbers and just know every one of them is significant to God. Every person who nailed a nail, who who held something for someone else, right? One year I worked as a construction grunt here in Tucson and, and I was constantly the helper. That's all I was. When a ditch had to be dug, I went and dug it because you can't really screw that up. Although I did a couple times, I dug the wrong direction and had to fill it in. And that's really discouraging if you've ever, ever been in that place. Um, but right, it's mundane. It's, it's, but, but God, everything matters. Okay, when he calls you to be a part of his work, every bit of it, matters. It's his mission. And all these people have been a part of his mission. And then they're called together to be a part of his team. Now let's switch in gears and get into chapter eight here, where we're going to hunker down for the majority of our time. Um, Beginning in verse one, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. If you're the type who underlines things in your Bible, the people gathered together. That's the same idea where the word church is the ecclesia, that is God's people gathered together as one man, right? You, you, we, we just saw tons and tons of names. There are all kinds of different people, but they're gathered together corporately. And then can Continuing on, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse two, so Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seven months. So Ezra enters the scene here. Um, as you may have heard us say, and if you, this is important for you here to know that Nehemiah would go, goes hand in hand with Ezra. Um, we have a theologian and a scholar in the house. He's uh, Gary there. He turned around, but there's a wall behind him. So it's you. Um, and uh, and, 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 and most, most professors, um, and actually one guy who we had talked to us as we were preparing to preach through Nehemiah, all of redemption. We had a, a 
call or talk to us. And he, he, he couldn't stop saying, you should be preaching Ezra and Nehemiah together. You should, it should be Ezra and Nehemiah. He, every time he came around, he kept saying that because they go together. But, right, we're reading Nehemiah. We're reading this account that much of it has come from Nehemiah's hand. And yet he, for the rest of this, this whole section, kind of fades to back. He steps back. And I don't know about you, but everything in me wants to cringe and say, no, Ezra, you have your own book. Okay, get out of Nehemiah's book. Uh, he's had his own battles, his own, his own burdens here. Um, but you don't see that. You see this now even as you press in and you understand more that Nehemiah was a great leader. It would be like he's a great business person, but he's not a priest. He's not equipped. He's not qualified to read uh, the law to God's people, but Ezra is. And Nehemiah, from what we can see here, doesn't bat an eye. He steps back, Ezra steps up. Let's just learn from that. I'm listening to a podcast right now um, that I won't share specifically with you, but about the church phenomenon that we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years and a lot of churches have blown up and then blown up and, um, and, and, and is just a lot of different things like that. And, and one of the common threads is a personality-driven church that's really kind of top-heavy, that has a, 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 a person who's a charismatic, dynamic kind of kind of kind of guy and people want to come and learn and listen to him and then it all becomes about that person and and it's not this kind of a team mentality that we see all throughout scripture the um our prayer and our hope is that from what we say what we display what we have on our on our website would be that we are all about Jesus that if any one of us gets hit by a bus, it's always a bus, and so um, gets hit by a bus or, or just, or gets called into a different role, into a different place, into a different, whatever it might be, that it would, that we, yeah, we might hopefully like shed a tear, be like, oh, that's sad, and, but that it wouldn't end what we're doing here. That, that, that would be pretty pathetic if what we're built on is, is any kind of a, a person or personality driven, and we see that here is God is working through his team and they're embracing that. And then continuing on that theme in verse two, you saw, and he makes a point to say, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women. I want to pause there and get into that and, and explain that. I can't give enough time to it, but that's not normal in this, in this day. Okay, 1,500 years ago, it wasn't assumed that men and women would be able to gather in the same place and to learn. But scripture from the beginning to the end affirms and platforms men and women as image bearers of God. We believe um, called together in, in complementary roles where mutually dependent on each other to reflect and display the, the power and the creativity and the work and the glory of God through his people functioning together. And that is, again, men and women needing each other. And, 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 and having uh, uh, equal um, seats at the table to, to learn and to serve together. And so I, I want to take point because I think God went out of his way to make it clear that again, um, around 1500 years ago, that this was the case that when Ezra gathered people together, it would have been assumed that women weren't a part of it, except he goes out of his way to say otherwise. 
And then you see that he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. That's a long time. All right, we've been, we, um, we have a really low attention span as, a, as people today. Um, if you've ever read TechWise Family or some other things like that, Andy Crouch is one author who's done a lot of work on technology and things like that. Um, our brains are being reprogrammed. Um, I like to think our necks are going to get weaker. We're going to like lose a neck mo muscle because we're so used to doing this and like we can only hold our heads up for so long and it just kind of dips down and it just dips down. Um, that's not medical or science. That's just my, my theory and I have no grounds for that. Um, but, uh, but, but it's just, you see in, in, in a commitment here. And, and also, let me just say this too, you, there's, a, there's a longing, a thirst for life that has been missing for a long time. They have been captive. They weren't able to do this. The temple is finally built. They're finally for the first time gathered together as God's people corporately. And they're like, we will stand for a long time. Many of you endured excruciating Tucson heat on Easter morning. That was the first time we could gather like that and it was outside, and it wasn't even specifically in Tucson, but we were in Marana. We were in this park. It was really hot. My phone died. Everything died. Um, I don't think any people did, um, but it was hot, and it was uncomfortable, and we, it was so good. I think so many of us were just like, let's keep this party going. We could get a slip and slide out here. That would help, but let's keep this. It's, it was so good to be together, and you see that kind of thing happening here as God's people are functioning together as a team. And even in, um, in verse six, look with me there. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Again, there's so much to cover. I can just kind of dip in and out of things here, but you see expressive worship there. The people are saying, amen. I want to make note. They don't have to ask for it. <laughs> the people just give it. They shout it out. Uh, amen. Thank you. Amen means, um, it means so be it or may it be so. Means I agree. Means yes. Means I I'm tracking with what's being said and, and I agree in the prayer and the proclamation that it would be good for God to do this work that he has promised to be done. And, and so God's people join in saying amen, but they also, you see, they, they bend their knee, they lift their hands. All of that is purposeful. It's not just flippant. It's not just a emotional circus, you know, and kind of people are jogging around and he's not really, and they're thinking about lunch and stuff like that, but they're, no, they're engaged and they're physically expressing it and it's beautiful and it's good. And then in verse seven, this last part of God's people functioning together as a team, look there in chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse seven. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebatai, Hodiah, Masai, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Kalia, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. 
They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They didn't just assume, they didn't, and and we try to go out of our way here, but we don't always do it of explaining what's been sometimes called like Christianese or church lingo, just church terms. It's like, oh, I'm so blessed when I did this and it was awesome. And, oh, uh, you know, and I can't even think, I've kind of trained myself not to speak too fluently in those things that, that, that we just assume and move on or you say, open up God's word. And there's like, what? There looks like a whole bunch of words. Why is it called a word? And um, hopefully we explain those things well, that the word gospel means good news, right? That, that we would, we, that this wouldn't just be assumed. And you see that in God's people, that, that, that God is so good and so glorious that as we all find ourselves in the same place together before him, as we said earlier in our prayer and our confession, right? We're all in the same boat here. We hopefully our theological position is just that is such that we have a high view of God and a right view of ourselves. And that never means that we just diminish ourselves and that we just, because God doesn't do that. He doesn't just beat us down and curse us. We'll see that in a moment, but we need to understand that outside of his undeserved favor, outside of his invitation into his presence, we would be wrecked. We deserve judgment. For the wages of all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin, our failure, our turning away from God is, is death and judgment. But, but he calls us all by his grace together. And so you see here, there are people from different educational backgrounds, people who, who know how to read. Most people didn't know how to read. And did the people who know how to read just say all these big words and assume everyone else knew what they were and just kind of move on and try to build themselves up and keep others down in their socioeconomic or educational position? And I'll just say, pause really briefly and come back to it. We've seen so much of that in this last year and a half of, I've worked hard to get where I am. I'm where I'm at. Everyone else is where they're at. I'm going to protect where I'm at. And I just, you don't see that in scripture. The common constant theme is outside of God's intervention. I can't fathom where I would be. And what these people do, these Levites, these educated um, people, they use that to bless others. They help others understand. And it's because they all stand on the same foundation of one gospel. So pick up with me in, uh, in verse nine. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy. That means set apart, set above to the Lord, your God, do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then they said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. 
There is so much there. That is packed. I encourage you to, again, make a note, go back, pour over this section of scripture. The people's first response is weeping and grieving. And that is totally appropriate. It's like in our time of confession. Hopefully, all of us who have ears to hear, when we're given a minute of silence, which most of us don't have throughout the entire week, to actually pause, or we choose not to have. We pause before God, and then we invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what he wants to reveal. Where have my thoughts, my words, my actions, my thoughts about other people, my words to other people, my words about other people, my actions while driving, while at home, when I thought no one was looking, when it was late at night, whatever it might be, we pause in that moment. And I think if we're listening, if we have ears to hear, God reveals things to us. And it should break us. It is ugly. It, it is, it, it, um, what I'll just share what God brought to heart for me in this moment, just a couple minutes ago, was I like to think of myself as, you know, cool as a cucumber, ice water in my veins. I'm the, you know, the, the ninth inning, two outs, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the tying run and, uh, and, and it's a full count and I just hit it and, you know, hit a home run score. But God just revealed that is not me. I am frantic and anxious that though he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as it says in Hebrews, I am not the same. My own family can attest to this. Uh, last minute, right now, or next minute. I can just be so easily just set off, or I can go from jovial to the opposite. Um, it's, and and I'm, that should break us and convict us. But see there that Nehemiah, and well, Ezra and the other priests, the Levites, call the people out of that. Here's, here's what, here, look at me right now. I want us all to understand this good news. You're in my actions and you're in my emotions. Do not define us and do not define our lives. They're important, but they're not ultimate. And what these Levites do, what Ezra does, is he reminds the people of God, of what God has done for thousands of years ago, what God did. And he's reminding them, in this moment, yes, the fact that you and your ancestors have sinned, and we've talked about this before during Nehemiah, they should have sat in what their ancestors did. And they did. They weren't saying, well, it wasn't me. It was, you know, it was 50 years ago. I didn't have anything to do with it. They, they're like, that was hundreds of years ago. And I grieve over it. God gave us as a people a calling and we have failed. And, and right now, these people, as they hear that, they, they weep and they grieve and they mourn. But the message, the gospel, the good news is that doesn't define you. There's a time for that. Your strength would lead you to weeping. But in this moment, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And the people are called out of their wallowing, out of their confession into stand now in light of your risen identity in Christ. 
right? We, when we say stand, some of us might be like, I, I shouldn't. God, I don't deserve to stand. And the, the truth is you don't. I don't. None of us does. Look, look at the cross up here. I hope it's in the screen for anyone watching online. We try to work hard to keep the cross in the, the view. Um, the cross is the clearest picture of confession and assurance. The cross is the clearest picture of justice and mercy. The cross is the clearest picture of weeping and grief and yet simultaneous joy and triumph. That God looked on his only son who did not deserve to be judged and said, every sin, every thought, every word, every action of every person who has trusted in Christ, who has been found in Christ, who has come under the undeserved favor of Christ is now piled on every thought, every word, every action, every sin that you and I have committed, will commit, are committing, has been piled on the cross of Jesus. And in that moment, he felt, he experienced the tragedy when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the judgment that you and I deserve. That is worth weeping over. That is worth grieving over. He didn't deserve it. He never fill in the blank, whatever you and I do time and time again. He never promised the moon and then failed to deliver like you and I do. And yet he took it on. And then he victoriously on the third day triumphed, rose from the dead, conquered the effect and the consequence of sin and death so that you and I can experience life, full, rich, abundant life. Not the life like the three worship leaders on top of the wall who reflect you and I, oh, when am I going to get to build my house? When am I going to get mine? I didn't study for this. I don't deserve this. I didn't do that. Why? No, but the, the full life that he calls us into under his gospel. And lastly, in this part, let me say, um, the church of which we're a part has historically, in many cases, done a really bad job of entering into people's brokenness, to people's stories, to people's trauma, uh, to people's anxiety and, and worry and pain. And uh, we need to do a much, much, much better job. We need to not just give two verses and say, call me in the morning, but we need to ask better questions. Um, we have some people in our church incredibly gifted and called in this area. And we platform them and, if, and want to, if you're in that place, we want you to find help, to find community support. And I also think there's an incredible danger that we're in of making our anxiety, our worry, our trauma, our fears ultimate of making them God, of, of defining our lives by them. And I think we see here a picture of that stuff matters, but that doesn't define you. You can still stand, if you stand in worship and say, oh, great is our God. That's not being inauthentic because you don't feel it or because your day hasn't reflected 
the goodness of God in your experience. No, we need to be shaped by the story, the true story. That's the last part that we're in. But again, I say that right now very cautiously, okay? I think I'm walking on pretty thin ice and I don't wanna dismiss pain, trauma, experience, breakups, divorce, death, whatever it might be. That, those things are massive and significant and difficult and, and real and true. But the good news is they're not ultimate. God's invitation, his call is bring those things into, under, in light of the good news. Because we're a part of one story which, whose end has already been promised. Let me read verses 17 and 18 of chapter eight to bring us home. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So that's Joshua, um, who Moses, uh, who took over for Mo Moses. He was given a commandment to observed the festival of booths where they would for seven days, God's people would live in makeshift tents and different, different um, things like that to, and even if they had a house, they had a roof, they had air conditioning, whatever, um, they had it all, but they would intentionally live outside of that in a different way for seven days to remind themselves of God's faithfulness in providing shelter and covering um, for his people. And they would remember the, the suffering of God's people walk, walking through 40 years in the desert, wandering, and yet we're told here they never did it. So that's why um, the author here goes out of his way to say, according to the rule, this time, and I don't know if this was the only time, but this time they did it. They gathered together. And why did they do it? Was it just to check off the box and be like, oh, we should, it's Christmas. I got to get my wife something, right? I mean, what kind of husband would I be if I didn't? And it's, you know, we've got to do, oh, I guess we got to go to church. I'm a, you know, we're a Chester family, you know, Christmas and Easter only. So, you know, we just, we just come to church on, it's Christmas, you know, we might as well. No, it's because it's important for us to remember, again, that we are a part of a story from creation to final restoration where Jesus will one day return will make all things new, will gather his people together to participate in his glorious, perfect, beautiful, restored kingdom for all eternity. He will deal with sin once and for all in judgment, and then he will again invite us into eternal, glorious life. And now we see in part, then we will see in full. Now we see like we're looking in a mirror dimly, then we will see clearly as though face to face. That's the story. Every week here as a church, we walk through this story. That's why we do what has been called the liturgy. That's what people do when they gather together. Everywhere we go has a liturgy. The mall, the 
baseball games, we stand up in the seventh inning and we sing, take me out to the ball game, right? And then the home team yells their team name. And there are certain things we do. And we'd sing those. No, it's what people do when they gather together. Well, what God's people do when they gather together, like here, is we recite and remember where we are in the story. When we're singing, this is why it's important for you and I to constantly participate in corporate worship together, is we are singing what is true. We are saying what is true. Though my heart convicts me and and condemns me. God, your word and your grace does not. And we are singing that and we are reminding each other. That's why sometimes it's important for us to recite corporate confessions together. And that's why we corporately stand when we read God's word. So now let's prepare to respond corporately as God's people, part of one mission, one team, standing firmly on one gospel, as a part of one story of which Jesus is the author and the hero. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you um, that you are true. That, um, Lord, that though we, um, though we are tempted to try to find life everywhere else, though we are tempted to... Uh, Lord, to let ourselves define truth and reality. Um, I pray that, that, that you, by your spirit, will, will bring us um, into the good news of living all of life, all through Jesus and all for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.